I'm Janine Preston from Life is a Beach and I had the opportunity of coming to stay in Belito and one of the things about Belito is it's beautiful beaches and just a lovely spot and I was fortunate enough to meet Richard Finch who owns Ekaya Guest House not far off the main road uh, but deep enough in Belito to be in the middle of what is known as the Belito bush just stunning um, beautiful little guest house tucked away um, and I, I, Richard had such an interesting story that I said we need to talk to you and he was telling me about from the time he was born <laughs> so we have to start again morning Richard good morning good morning yes I go back quite a long way I usually tell people I'm not an old man I'm just not so young and I was born in 1945 which makes me 78 this coming April and the war had was just coming to an end and um, my mother my biological mother who bore me uh, was in the Women's Royal Air Force and her partner was in the Royal Air Force but she was white and he was black and when she became pregnant her mother and grandmother said no 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 you go in a home have the child and leave it there and so unfortunately the bells were not ringing when I was born I was born in a home for unmarried mothers in East London East London, in the east of London, in, in the UK. And um, there I could have been destined to stay or to die. In fact, uh, 4,000 brown babies were born during the war. Uh, and left behind as their fathers went back to the various Commonwealth countries. And adoption societies wouldn't touch them. They wouldn't be adopted. So uh, I was very lucky um, because uh, although for 18 months I was kept in a pillowcase tied with string, so I couldn't <laughs> sit up. And uh, fortunately, my, I was adopted by a wonderful, wonderful woman who, who just didn't see color. Uh, and Britain was very racist at that time. She, uh, in fact, heard about me and adopted me. Against all legal advice, against all legal advice, she actually met my biological mother and said, if ever you want to see Richard, you can see him. Uh, I always knew I was adopted. Um, very interesting because my, my, my mother and father were white. I was quite dark compared with any other child. Uh, so my early memory of adults, they would bend down, ruffle my hair, say, hello, curly tops, where do you come from? And I used to say, London, I'm talking about when I'm about four years old. And they said, no, where do you really come from? And I used to say, London. And they said, but where do you really come from? And I was baffled by this. And my mother said, Richard's adopted. And I kept hearing this word. And I said to her one day, you keep saying I'm adopted. What does that mean? And she said, it means you're very special. We chose you, which was very, very nice. Uh, she told me about my father. She met him once. Because when I came home from school at the age of five, first day at school, if you're slightly different, uh, you get teased and bullied. I came home, and uh, they were calling me Blackie and Nigger. Always. 62 years later, I come to Namibia in Africa, and they call me Mr. Richard the White Man. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, uh, however, um, I had uh, uh, a, a wonderful childhood because I was told the truth at a time when there were so many lies and secrets around. 
And uh, to cut a long story short, uh, I met, yes, I, every, there was an annual visit to see my biological mother. I called Auntie Joyce, because I had a mother. I called her Auntie Joyce. And when I was 13, and that's when you start wondering all sorts of things, I said to my mum, is Auntie Joyce my real mother? I remember saying that. And she said yes. And I said to her, I'm glad I was adopted. Uh, my biological mother never had any children. She married, uh, but she never told anybody till the day she died that she'd had a child. How old Nobody at all. Um, her husband knew she was, she was married. Did you meet your dad? I met my father. Uh, I was doing a lot of work in the 80s in Britain on multiculturalism. Uh, the images, the media images of black people, and they haven't changed a lot, were either starving children with flies buzzing around their heads, uh, following the Ethiopian famine, etc., etc., or race riots and fighting and so on and so forth. So I started bringing black and Asian artists into schools to work with children, African drummers, batik artists, henna painters, all sorts of things, so that they were working alongside white children, so that white children had positive, side of it. positive images of black and Asian people. And through that, and through my setting up a festival, a Caribbean arts festival in white middle class Hampshire, I met the ambassador who straight away said, are you from Trinidad? Now, I had a moustache and curly hair. Nobody can fix me. I've been Saudi Arabian, Iraqi, Iranian, Hungarian, Gypsy even. Um, nobody could quite place where I was from. And immediately the ambassador said, are you from Trinidad and Tobago? And I said, well, indirectly. This was 1986. I said I was adopted. But for some reason, I think because I've been planning this festival, it's been raised to my consciousness. I said, my father... Um, was from Trinidad, his name was Ulrich Cross. And the ambassador said, Ulrich Cross, I was talking to him on the phone last week. My goodness. And through that, I met my family, I met him, and in 1986... Did he know about you? He knew about me, but I think he had a selective memory. I mean, he, he, okay. he had other children. Um, and uh, yeah, because in fact, I wrote him a letter saying, Dear Ulrich, he was in Trinidad, you'll be very shocked to get this letter, but this is me, blah, 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 blah. And he wrote a letter back saying, Dear Richard, not shocked, but surprised. I look forward to seeing you at Christmas. And we met Christmas 1986, and we continued meeting each year until he died at the age of 97 in 2013. Goodness me. Uh, and I went to Trinidad, and I was welcomed like a long-lost son. And it was very important. But the other significant thing is I wanted to come to Africa from the age of nine. I retired as a principal in a big London high school in 2000, at the end of 2007, and I was able to fulfill my wish of coming to Africa. And I went to Namibia to teach at the university. As soon as I arrived, I felt so much at home. Little did I know until a little bit later that my father had spent many, many years on the continent. In fact, he was invited to come over by Kwame Nkrumah, um, who was about to become the president of the first country to become independent, Ghana. And my father drew up the constitution, because after the oh, war, he trained as a lawyer. 
So my father was in Ghana, he drew up the constitution for Ghana, he drew up the constitution for Cameroon, and then he went as a high court judge uh, under Julius Nayeri in Tanzania. So he spent all that time in Africa. Isn't it strange? That is just, and you have such a love for Africa. And I have, Because yeah. one of the things that you were telling me when I arrived yesterday was the fact that you, there were two things you wanted to do. One when you were 22 and one when you were 62. One that you achieved on the, both That's those right, times. Yes. And you achieved being a teacher at 22 and you achieved coming to Africa at 62. That's right. And then decided to live here. Uh, and how privileged are we? Because we got to keep you. A beautiful, beautiful country. <laughs> beautiful people. And I think because I'm, my wife passed away, but we like entertaining a lot uh, and enjoy cooking. And so I then decided, I think I'll have a guest house, but I will keep it like a home. Uh, that was, that was, and so after uh, a couple of years here, three years here, I made the changes that I wanted to change to make it suitable as a, as a guest house. I opened it as a guest house. And I thought the only foolish thing is that uh, I, I can't be tied down. I was getting a lot of opportunities from the British Council to travel. So I thought, well, if I'm not here, I'll close the guest house because uh, when there's a little less life in front of you than behind you, and you get opportunities to travel as I did to Ethiopia several times, Egypt, Burundi, Rwanda, And Peru. I think one of the, the most exciting things about being in your, your situation is that you can travel because it's okay to close the guest house. Yeah. I think so many people retire, they build or they, they buy a guest house, they, they, they turn their homes into a guest yeah. house, and they find themselves, to, for want of a better word, unable to leave. Of course, yeah. And I'm always thinking, but it's your home. Yeah. If you choose to close it for a time period, it's not like a hotel where people are transient all the yeah. time. And it's not a business to it's, see. It's no, my, it's, my, it's inviting I people to stay at home. Yeah, Absolutely. So how, how, how awesome that you were able to say, it's okay to close my home and yeah. move and go travel and come back yeah. and carry on. Fortunately, I didn't have to after a couple of times because I had a very good friend who looked after it magnificently. And uh, I've got others that... Uh, are, are willing to do that. I'm so sure they are because it's a beautiful home. So, so that's, that's fine. So now that we know a little bit about Richard, um, tell me a little bit about the guest house. Well, uh, it seems to live up to its reputation in terms of uh, the word Ikaya was one of the. I, I learned a little bit of Zulu when I first came, and the word Ikaya was one of the first words I learned. And I, it was strange. I, I thought, I'm going to have a guest house. And I'm going to call it Ekaya. I think Ekaya is such a beautiful word. It, and it, it means more than the, the English word home. Correct. Uh, it, you know, there's something about it. And so when guests come, they say, oh, yes, it is Ekaya. Um, and so that, that, and that makes me very happy. So in a way, I'm sharing my home. Which is and awesome. uh, the income I get from guests, which is very, very necessary, just help, helps the upkeep because I could not normally with my pension uh, keep up a home of this size. Magnitude, because yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the layout and what you can right. offer. Well, what I, I made, uh, I've, I've got three rooms downstairs, three double rooms, although one will fit um, three beds. Or I had some of the beds specially made so that when they're joined together, there's not like there's a with a a fitted mattress and fitted sheets. It's, it's like a queen-size bed. Um, 
So I have three rooms downstairs, and I have a family room, big family room upstairs, which has a separate bathroom and jacuzzi and a separate toilet and can seat four or five. Um, so I can accommodate 11 people or 12 if there are children. And that, uh, that size is perfect for me, perfect for me because I can give personal attention. And have you got a system or, or, or a company that picks up people from the airport or do they organize their own transport? If they, no, what, what happens is that I will, if it's just a couple or something like that, then I will, organize, then I will do that. Awesome. Or I organize somebody to do it, if it's a, a, a larger number. Um, I have a wonderful cleaner who's been with me for six years. She is fantastic. Uh, and I have somebody that does a garden, somebody that comes in weekly to do the pool. You know, it's the first time in my life I've had a swimming pool. We don't have them in England unless no, you're very you rich. <laughs> and anyway, we couldn't use them. And, and the upkeep of a pool surprised me, actually. It's quite a lot, let me say. But um, I have to say that uh, when I bought the house, and houses in England are small and expensive, so I was very fortunate in using the money that I got for my small house in the south of England to buy this house. At the age of 65, I moved here, and I said to my friends, at last I've made this in life, I've got five toilets. <laughs> so, so that was kind of the pinnacle of my success. And what a lovely way to, to equal success. We were talking about that yesterday with the client and saying, isn't it funny how people, they attribute success equals money. Mm -hmm. But actually, success can be so many things because success to each person has a different meaning. So in your case, I think it's wonderful to attribute your success to having a wonderful lifestyle at the age of 78. And I think that's what you've achieved, certainly. Uh, the welcoming that I got yesterday when I arrived was all attributed to the fact that you're such a warm human being. And I think when we stay in a guest house, we want the host to almost be our friend, mm. even though we don't know them. Mm. We're moving into their home. Yes. So, therefore, we need to feel that whole, I will welcome, thank you for sharing my home, yeah. as if I was a friend anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas a hotel, it doesn't matter if you don't like the staff, and it really is irrelevant, yeah. because yeah. You, you, you go there, you book a room, you stay, you move out. Yeah. There's no friendships involved. But when it comes to a guest house, a very personal experience. Yeah, and it's interesting that I, I decided, after just talking to uh, some guests when I first opened, I had a gut feeling I didn't want to put televisions in the rooms, and the rooms are not big. Uh, but I just didn't want televisions in the rooms. I thought they're coming here to the beach and to lots of other things. But I have a, uh, a tele well, it's, uh, it's projected onto the screen in my lounge um, so that I can do seminars. It's the cinema experience. Let's not worry about the seminar. Yeah, it's a cinema. Yeah. And so I always say to guests, I always make a point of saying to guests, Please, if you see me sitting in the lounge, it's not my lounge, it's our lounge. That's awesome. I say that straight away so that they, they, they feel relaxed. So the cinema that. evening is there. When I, when I arrived yesterday, I saw it, I thought, now that's, that's a screen. Yeah. <laughs> so you, moving on to the business side, you were talking about seminars and being able to host seminars. Um, how does that work? Well, um, I, I need to get it up and running a little bit now, but generally what happens is, um, because during the time I've been here, I've also, through the British Council, and also independently, I've run quite a number of 
courses uh, for teachers, professional development training courses, mainly teachers who are teaching English as an additional language. And so, I've, and I've also run some courses on uh, leadership and management using my experience as a principal and as senior member of staff and lecturers, a lecturer in England. So I've, I've, I've run courses for teachers. I also go into schools and I support teachers teaching the trick, particularly English, the literature texts, because I love literature. And once a teacher, always a teacher. So I still work occasionally with the tricks uh, on, on, their, on their set. On their what was text. your subject as a teacher? My, te um, my subject was drama. I, will, I, did oh my the, I did the very first degree at London University in 1963 on drama and theatre and education. I never wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a teacher. I stumbled, almost. I was almost pushed into the drama department because I had done school plays at school which, that I excelled in. And when I uh, graduated, in 1966, through a very, very innovative Minister of Arts called Jamie Lee, whose husband actually founded the National Health Service in 1948. In the 1960s, she was Minister of Arts, and she, in fact, rubber-stamped drama as an important subject in the curriculum. So drama was, a, a, and, and still is, a compulsory subject for children when they start secondary school. Drama, music and art. Which sadly doesn't happen in our government schools here and I, I'm, I'm sad. I, and you know, that. as Africans, we're so in tune with music and beat and, and you know, the African drum yeah. and beats. And, and one would wonder why that's, that there wouldn't be an option. Mm. Um, and it brings out so many awesome things within you. Your inner yes. child just loves yeah. to play. Yeah, that's right. And you can do that openly, yes. you know, to be able yeah. to play. Yeah. So for nearly all of my teaching career, um, even when I was lecturing at Birmingham University, when I was training teachers, it, were, it was drama in education. And that my work so cool. in Europe was always with youth theatre and international drama seminars. And in fact, I'm going back to Bulgaria in uh, June because uh, it's their 20th anniversary of their youth festival which they have every other year so they've been running it for 40 years and i was involved in the very early stages of that festival well uh, from the time i came to south africa um i had decided that i would open a guest house uh, my late wife and i used to enjoy hospitality looking after people cooking and this kind of thing and now i had the opportunity of this beautiful house I thought I would open a B&B. &B. I could tell that it would accommodate 12 people. Um, and I didn't want more than that because I wanted to keep it like a home. Uh, and that was why I called it Ikaya, which is one of the first Zulu words I learned. And I'm glad to say when people arrive, they do say, ah, this is home. I don't have any notices anywhere. Know this, know that, please do, please do not. It's totally free of notices. All I say to guests when they arrive is I have two rules. One is no smoking in the house, and the second rule is to relax, chill, and enjoy yourself. And, and you have to tell me a little bit about the breakfast. I loved your breakfast story. Well, yes. Um, 
I serve breakfast at a time to suit my guests because I don't want any kind of pressures of having to get up quickly or, or miss breakfast. And I serve a, a buffet breakfast, um, a wide selection of fruits, of cereals. Sometimes, although I haven't for you, Janine, I make homemade scones and homemade muffins, so next time I must do that. Um, uh, cereals, cheeses, cold meats, eggs, and if guests ask for cooked breakfast, then of course I, I will give it. Uh, and the nice thing is one can linger over breakfast here, which is something we don't normally do. We normally have breakfast on the hop. On the hop. So tell me, how do people reach you? Where do they find you? They how do either, they book? Yeah, they can either book online. I have a website. But they can also, they can book online through booking.com or a number of the online uh, accommodation platforms uh, or contact me direct. I'm in a very good position. I'm only a 15-minute walk to the beach or three minutes by car. I'm 15, 20 minutes from the airport, so I get quite a lot of international guests. In fact, I call my uh, guest house United Nations, because <laughs> in the last week I've had people from Mozambique, Italy, Germany, France, and Holland. Uh, and I enjoy doing it. You, you cannot run a guest house unless you love people and you love what you're doing. And I have a very good support staff, a small staff, uh, a, a, a helper, who, who cleans and makes the beds and changes the beds. Um, I have someone who maintains the pool, and I have gardeners. And what is your email? Your, what is your web address and your email? Right, my email is lowercase richard dot finch v s o v for Victor s for sugar o for olive at gmail dot com. And and your website? www dot Thank you. And it was so nice to stay here. Thank you so much for having me. Mm -hmm.